As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Welcome to this replay of Ask N.T. Write Anything, where we go back into the archives to bring you the best of the thought and theology of Tom Wright, answering questions submitted by you, the listener. You can find more episodes as well as many more resources for exploring faith at premierunbelievable.com, and registering there will unlock access through the newsletter to updates, free bonus videos, and ebooks. That's premierunbelievable.com. And now for today's replay of Ask N.T. Wright Anything. So glad to be sitting down once again with Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, as he's also known uh, under his academic works. Um, And today we're tackling people's tricky theological questions. I I must admit that's a bit of a catch-all phrase for just a a bit of a mishmash of questions, though I wasn't quite sure where to put. So um, uh, we'll see what uh, Colin and Matthew and Tim and Joshua and Bev all have to say in today's programme. But yeah, I mean, you've, you've led enough uh, tutor groups and seminars and so on to have had some pretty difficult questions thrown at you over the years not least the ones we cover in in this podcast tom so uh, i mean what what would you say is are some of the trickiest issues that you tend to, to well, have to the, deal the with the trickiest issues tend to circulate around the problem of evil in some form or other yeah. often the problem of perceived evil in somebody's life or circumstances mm. you know why did my husband stroke mm. brother stroke niece stroke sister die of cancer when yeah. they were such a lovely person doing such wonderful things in the world um, why did that have to happen mm. why didn't god mm. stop it or equally um why doesn't god step in and stop what's going on in yeah, syria yeah, at the moment yeah, yeah. Or, or in in iran um why is there something like the coronavirus mm. um um th- the curious thing is those questions impinge much more in modern christian thinking than they ever did in ancient christian thinking the ancients were quite used to the fact that there were volcanoes and fires and floods Mm. and famines and goodness knows what and they accepted that this world was a bit of a mess Mm. and that god was nevertheless at work in it Yes, and, the pro- the, I, I appreciate what you're saying. I, I do see the problem of suffering as a curiously modern problem, mm, mm, mm. and even Western, mm, if mm. I'm honest, because yeah. uh, it's not the question, ironically, that many of the people who are most suffering in the world are actually asking. This is this is one of the real oddities. It tends to be, you're right, a question that hits comfortable Western people yes. <laughs> as they look at our sorts of suffering. But yes, there are places mm. where there is real suffering and where there always has been. Um, do search back in the archive actually mm. we did do a whole episode on the question of suffering mm, mm, um mm. you can look back for that in the ask and to write anything podcast archive but um these are these are questions of, of different sorts actually to the, that mm-hmm. particular tricky question um so let's start with colin in westminster south carolina 
uh, says, thank you very much for the podcast. Refreshing and helpful. I have a question about how to interpret the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira, because it seems at the cross there's a shift with how the world relates to God in terms of violence. Then all of a sudden you have this happen in Acts and it leaves you wondering what really happened there. I'd appreciate a response. Thanks for all <laughs> you are doing. So just to refresh people's mind who aren't so familiar with the story, but essentially this is a story from Acts. Chapter um, 5. Chapter 5 and... Uh, the early Christian community in which they're sharing all things in common and then it's discovered or it's revealed to Peter and the apostles that this wife and husband Ananas and Sapphira have withheld some of the money that was acquired from the selling of a property and um, and then well perhaps you want to read it from from scripture so that we know exactly what what is said and I, I mean i won't, won't read the whole thing but you, sure. you've described it well um it, it's it is basically that the early christians are living as this new community where they are selling their possessions and bringing the money the, to the apostles feet and uh, uh then saying here this is this is who we are and it's now all part of the common mm-hmm. purse and ananias and sapphira are basically cheating on that um and what happens is uh, that um, Peter rebukes Ananias, sees straight through it, and you're when, translating here from the Greek, well, I should say. Yeah, um, and he says, "Look, w- while while the, while the thing was still with you, you had the chance to do with it what you wanted, but you have chosen um, to make this gift and to pretend that it was the whole price, etc." And when Ananias hears Peter, he says, "You have not lied to humans, but to God." And when Ananias heard this, um, he fell down and died. And great fear came upon all who heard about it. You mm. bet there was. Mm. Um, and the young men picked him up and took him out and buried him. And then his wife comes in and Peter says, did you sell the property for such and such? And she says, yes, for such and such, which was what Ananias mm. had said. And Peter says, sorry, the, the, the feet of those who buried your husband are Waiting coming back and, and they, yeah. they will carry you out. And she falls over and dies as well. So it, it's a very weird story by anyone's standards. Mm. Um, and it's one of those things which, if I were writing acts, oh, would I have put that in? <laughs> Might um, have just left that one well, out of well, the, the well. history. But, but the odd thing is um, the, there's no suggestion that Peter and the others actually execute them. Yes. This, this yes. is... It, this is just um, here is and, and it's to do with here's this community in which the living God has come to dwell, and it's a it's like a, this community is, is the new temple. Um, that's quite clear from Acts mm. two, where the Spirit comes um, and over against the existing temple in Jerusalem, which is expecting the divine glory to come and mm. come there. It's come on this community. But if you are the temple of the living God, then you don't mess around with this stuff. God is a consuming fire. And many people who had thought that was an Old Testament idea and in the New Testament it was all, you know, sweetness and light and everyone being nice to each other, etc., then horrified that the thought of Ananias and Sapphira just just being Mm. killed by Mm. God. And as I say, if I was writing Acts, I probably wouldn't have put Mm. this story in. so, but I think that's what it is really about: is the the dangerous holiness of the life of the community, and the fact that if you can play fast and loose with it, you're actually fracturing the whole question of the presence of God in your midst. Um, and it seems that the story is told with fear and trembling: of we are handling mm. holy things mm. here, and we better not mess around. Um, I mean, it raises that question, then, of course, of 
but I th- and I think this is where where Colin's coming from. Wasn't the cross supposed to be a sort mm. of turning mm. point in which God's judgment, if you like, is dealt with there rather than in specific case by well, case basis? In this yeah, kind except of way? that except that then, as we know, I mean, there's always that to and fro between what was done on the cross and in the resurrection and how it gets implemented mm. in the church. So that Paul in First Corinthians has to rebuke people and has to say this person who's done X, Y, and Z has to be put out of the community mm. uh, for his own good and for the mm. good of the community. And uh, there is such a thing as church discipline and it's mm. to be taken very seriously. And it's as though this is a bit of this church sort of discipline form. which, which yeah. God is doing himself. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, yeah. but inevitably, you know, it does sit uncomfortably with a lot of our, you mm. know, a sense of well you know goodness me if we were judged that harshly we would all well, find ourselves yes uh, and and in one might well feel that and yeah. i would certainly feel that at the same time um are we taking seriously what it means to be a community of the people of god in whom mm. the holy spirit mm. will come to dwell mm. and the answer is most of us probably mm. aren't taking that mm. nearly as mm. seriously as we mm. should um and there are several things which happen in Acts right at the beginning which seem to be constitutive and then it sort of moves out from there mm. so that at the beginning they are a community that have shared their property and possessions. But then that becomes problematic and Paul has to go around and collect uh, mm. a collection of money mm. Mm. Um, because they've run out of cash in Jerusalem and they're being persecuted. Mm. And so the Gentile churches have to contribute to them. So there's always there's something of an ambiguity about that. I've heard one... I heard this come up in a rather similar podcast to this that Greg Boyd does, where oh, right, he basically yes, yes. responds to all sorts of listener questions. Yeah, and this yeah. specific question came up, and uh, memory might not serve me brilliantly here, but I remember him suggesting a couple of alternative mm-hmm, readings mm-hmm. of this passage. Um, one of them was, um, well, there, there might be a case that when God's, if you like, power rests upon someone, they can use it um, sort of in ways that aren't necessarily mandated by God, but that they have the power to heal. They have mm, the power. Mm, and mm. that there may be a sense in which Peter was allowing that power to go out of him in a way that, mm, that mm, w- without God necessarily, if you like, ordaining that these people were killed. <laughs> now, that's one one way he said yeah, yeah. That, that there was, you know, and that necessarily isn't Peter using his power in the right way. Another thought he had was what if actually rather than god judging these people and doing the killing it's it's satan it's the power of evil that has been let into their lives uh, and uh, once it's revealed suddenly well that the, yes you know uh, that's that's uh, the and so uh, it's not so much that god judges them as that their own sin the sort sin, of catches sin up, with them, up and, with them and and satan as it were I prefer that second explanation to the first one <laughs> right but i think ultimately that too is a way of talking about the holiness of God in the the Satan in the Old Testament mm. um, is is God's Satan is God's director of public prosecutions as it were as in the beginning of the book of Job. Mm. Now there is a rich and dark mystery there mm. which I don't pretend to understand, sure. um, but uh, I think in all sorts of ways. Um, when humans do sin, and here it's the lie, which is to do with the money, etc. It may be a way of invoking an idol, which then is allowed to do its worst to them. You, know, you could say it like mm-hmm. that, but the, the the problem remains. You know, if I was taking a church service and this came up in the lectionary, and especially if there were lots of guests there who yes. weren't used to coming to church, it's I, not the one you necessarily choose for guest well, Sunday. Well, no, yeah, no, yeah. It, it, exactly, exactly. Especially not for guest <laughs> gift Sunday. <laughs> well, there you go. We can't mm. claim to know exactly. Nope. 
<laughs> to interpret them all but um do yeah. appreciate the, the question colin yeah absolutely um, yeah um okay something different now matthew in las vegas wants to know are we worthy of god's love i'm currently part of a baptist church and there's a lot of talk about humans being unworthy of god's love i believe the seriousness of sin and god's aversion or anger towards it but does that necessarily make us unworthy if we are unworthy then why would jesus choose to die for us well from one point of view of course at the very center of paul's gospel message you have romans 5 verses 6 following is that while we were still sinners the messiah died for us and while we were yes precisely unworthy and paul says it again and again um it's quite a dramatic passage um when we were weak at the right time he died for the ungodly one will scarcely die for a righteous man for a good man you might dare to die but god can his love for us in that while we were still sinners the messiah died for us and then for if while we were enemies we were reconciled mm-hmm. to god through the death of his son much more being reconciled shall we be saved so paul really rubs your noses mm-hmm. in the fact yeah. that it's not just that we were unworthy as though if we'd made it to this grade then oh yes i'll die for yes. you but sadly we were a bit below that it's totally yeah. off the radar altogether yeah. um but there's a, something deeper going on here and that is that love and worthiness don't sit well together mm. you know when when i say to one of my children or grandchildren that i love you this in all sorts of ways has nothing to do with that, whether they're worthy or not mm. they this is my child and i love mm. her mm. i love him mm. um and my grandchild and uh, ideally it's like that between spouses as well and obviously marriage is always a challenge and we, it's to be worked at and sometimes Uh, spouses do things which show that they really don't deserve one another's love and then if the love can it should reach beyond Mm. that anyway Mm. but so the idea that you only love people who deserve it Mm. is that actually love I, Um, i suspect some somewhere that matthew's question is coming from though might be where you get in some church traditions uh, a real emphasis on our depravity on mm, that we're mm, all miserable mm, sinners mm. and well you know god really sort of relented in order to to, to, well, to come and save us but i don't think it's relenting it's that all that we know about god especially as revealed in jesus himself which is how we really know about god is that god is the god of generous love of overflowing mm. radical mm. um wild love the genesis story is a story about God doing this lavish, extraordinary creation. And that when humans sin, what this calls forth from God is not an, oh, well, I suppose I've got to come and clean up this mess, but is a further outflowing of radical, generous, gracious, Mm. rescuing love. Mm. That's what God delights to do, even though this will now take um, God's own second self to die on a cross. So... um, I, I think we we need to go back again and again to this sense of of the radical, generous love of God, um, and that doesn't mean at all that we reduce the emphasis on just how sinful we are, because mm. because we are, mm. and we even those of us who are redeemed in Christ and indwelt by the Spirit, we are still sinful in all sorts of ways and will be until we die, um, uh, and. Uh, that's why we say day by day forgive us our trespasses Mm -hmm. and it's why day by day we come humbly with open hands Mm -hmm. to receive God's love afresh so that I think an overemphasis on unworthiness can mean that you end up just being beaten up and oh I'm so so." terrible whereas whereas I want to balance that by saying you are a human being made in the image of God stand up and take your place as somebody whose task is to reflect Mm. 
God into the world and reflect the world mm. back to God. And you don't deserve that either. No. But guess what? It's your vocation. And by the Spirit, you're jolly well going to do it. Yeah. And we yeah. as a community are here to help you and to celebrate yeah. you doing that. So, yes, of course we're all unworthy. <laughs> that's the joke. But let's get on and do it. So that's a different sort of embracing of unworthiness to what one sometimes yeah. finds. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask N.T. Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash ntwrite. That's premierinsight.org forward slash ntwrite. Thank you. Related question from Tim in Ohio here, um, Uh who says, um, are we born with a sin nature or are we capable of not sinning? Paul states that we do have a sin nature in passages like Romans 7 and Ephesians 2. But I understand this idea wasn't and isn't a Jewish idea at all. Are we misunderstanding Paul? And I suppose that brings us up to. Um, you know some of the original theologians or original sin yeah yeah so on so so what yeah what what did Augustine and others do with this idea I'm not quite sure what Tim in Ohio means by the phrase a sin nature Mm. Um, what is the word nature doing in that phrase well I think it's it's it is a phrase you hear banded around in church and theological circles that we have a a fleshly nature or a sin nature oh i see yes i think that yes. might be the kind of yes that's one english translation of one of paul's phrases perhaps right the yes. fleshly nature is is a way of translating sarks which is just flesh yes um i assume that's what he meant by that yeah, that, that maybe, we have maybe. we're born with this natural propensity to sin uh, to go wrong um and then he asked well are we capable of not sinning yes um, yes and and is is this actually a Jewish idea or not? That yeah, we, yeah, we are no, born no, with I this get that. Ori- this I get that. I think I, I'm, I'm worried about the word nature okay. because it's it's almost ontologizing this idea of a nature that I've got this nature. Okay, um, and uh, it's not quite that. Th- that is how some translations do it. I, mm. I accept that, um, but it doesn't quite reflect the way that Paul is talking about being in the flesh or being in the spirit or mm. whatever. But, but putting that to one side, I want to say that. Uh, he's quite right that in the earlier Jewish world, um, the I, the later Christian idea of original sin just doesn't seem to be there. Mm. Um, one of the interesting things about Jewish traditions on what human beings are is that there's very little about about Adam, about mm. Adam and Eve. Mm. Um, there are some later traditions about Adam and Eve, but it's not a major theme. If you mm. look through the Old Testament, there are one or two fleeting hints and references um, but but nothing like what you would expect mm. from a tr- traditional Christian theology. It says, there it is, Adam and Eve, they sinned, everything goes wrong. Mm. Now, here's the thing. 
Two things happen in the first century which cause both the, the early Christians and the Jews at the end of the first century to say, oh my goodness, the problem was worse than we thought. Take the Jewish one first. The destruction of the temple in AD 70 precipitates a writer who we know by the uncomfortable name of Four Ezra mm -hmm. to write an extraordinary book lamenting what's just happened and then saying, oh, Adam, mm -hmm. it was all your fault. And that's, I think, a novum. That's a new thing within the Jewish tradition. In other words, we thought we were the people of God. We thought if we kept the law, everything would be okay. We were given this new temple after the exile, so now we're back and it's all going to be lovely. And now the Romans have destroyed it again. And so there's a sense of this has rocked us back to the place where we say the problem was far more radical than we'd imagined. And then you're left with the question, how are you going to redeem mm -hmm. this? Mm -hmm. And then there is a picture of the Messiah towards the end of Fourth Ezra who will come eventually right. and, and do the thing that has to be done. The crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, seen by Paul as the crucifixion of Israel's Messiah, said to Paul, the problem was far worse than you'd imagined. And so Paul's view of sin is basically an earlier Jewish view of general human folly and sin, but rather unfocused, brought into sudden focus by the fact that if that's what God's Messiah had to do, then the problem must be much worse than we'd imagined. That's why in Romans one eighteen, the little Greek word gar comes for. Mm. The righteousness of God is revealed through faith, for faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, and wickedness. Um, in other words, in the gospel, we see at last just how bad the problem was. Mm. It was there, it was there already, but now it's been unveiled in all its horror, mm. uh, what, what, what's, what's actually happened. So, so then Paul would say that all humans, including Jewish humans, in other words, having the Torah doesn't mm. exempt you from mm. this, all humans are sinners all sinned and came short of the glory of god which many have seen romans 3:23 as an allusion to the adam story that something went categorically wrong the problem then is that from augustine onwards this was turned into a kind of a theory about how sin is transmitted mm. which augustine all too readily associated with the act of sexual intercourse uh, as though that somehow transmits sin it, yes. And so sex became particularly sinful because it did that. I'm not an Augustine specialist, mm. and I may be misrepresenting mm. him, but that's certainly how many yeah. have understood mm. that and, and reinterpreted it. And I think Paul would say, no, from the beginning, a twist has come into the human world where forces of evil have been unleashed and humans have worshipped idols which have resulted in mm. their humanness and what they're supposed to be doing in the world going wrong yeah. without having any great big theories about how precisely that works yeah. out. And then again, looking back from the cross, we can see enough to know that that's what God was dealing with. And so I suppose in summary, when he asks, are we born with a sin yeah. nature, however we understand that, some sort of, I mean, would you be willing to say, yes, yes. we are born with a yes. propensity we, to, we, to, go, we are born, well, to, I, to go the Well, saying propensity way. would imply with, with Pelagius and people that 
uh, yeah, we're liable to do that, but we, we might escape if we I tried see, hard yeah. enough. And I, I, I'd say it's much worse than that. Yeah, I yeah, mean, if you have to choose between Augustine and Pelagius, yeah, you have to yeah. choose Augustine, but um, but not with all the theories about how that's transmitted. Yeah. Um, but given that if we do say Jesus was the one person who, as it were, mm, was mm, exempt mm, in this sense, was sinless, without sin, um, does, I mean, is, is there any sense in the kind of, you know, the, I think partly... Um, Augustine's ideas were based on the fact well Jesus came via a virgin birth therefore this mm-hmm. sin nature was not transmitted to Jesus and that's yeah, partly yeah, where yeah. it's all come out of Wh- which, which then produces the second order thing about theories about Mary sure. and how she was conceived exactly, etc yeah. um, which I think shows that that was the wrong, the wrong track avenue, to go down yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. though I understand why and, and yeah. all that um, yes I, I think our problem then comes um with the fact that some of the strongest biblical language about sin has to do with the human heart Mm -hmm. and we don't know quite how much of that's a metaphor and how much of it is almost literally physically true that that our hearts and our brains are and it's not just um concern for ourself because there is a proper self-concern you can't love your neighbor as yourself unless you love yourself in Mm -hmm. an appropriate way um uh, first as logically first as it were but that um the human heart now seems to be uh, a volcano out of which there come all kinds of imaginings of evil and actual e- evil thoughts and intentions. And I think I want to say, reading between the lines of some of the Old Testament material on this, that from the beginning, when humans rebel against God and obey the voice of the serpent, whatever that means, there is a sense of humans having the power and the responsibility to unleash this wickedness upon the world. Mm by worshipping that which is only part of creation as if it were God and therefore by giving to that part of creation a power over us Mm -hmm. which it shouldn't have had and then because that power then promises us you'll be like God knowing good and evil or whatever Mm -hmm. um, we say yes please and it becomes a habituated thing which becomes habituated into the human race and I'd rather talk about habits and indeed inherited habits um, than about a nature transmitted in the Augustinian fashion. Um, yeah. Well, thank, thank goodness, thank Christ, we have Christ to, uh, uh, who who obviously uh, stands and and uh, allows us to be free in, at some level, even though we'll never be fully free, if you like, from the mm, the, mm. the effects of sin. That that we can nevertheless have freedom in that yes, way. And, and I mean, somebody, what was it? Um, uh, just looking at all these questions. Um, are we capable of not sinning? Yes. yes. Um, I think as Christians, we are capable of not sinning. Uh, as as Christians, we have the option to look at a temptation and to say no to it. Sure. Um, and as Christians, we have the option of looking at a vocation, something which God wants mm. us to do, and actually doing it. And I think there is a danger that when Christians are very much aware of their own sin and of the fact that we're justified by grace through faith alone, etc., that we forget all those biblical passages which say that we can actually please God. Mm. God God is not a hard taskmaster Mm. for whom we might just about attain a pass mark, but basically we're pretty rubbish. Um, God is a loving father who wants his children to flourish and takes as much delight in watching us do even the small steps mm. of what we're supposed to mm. do as i do uh, watching a grandchild play a musical instrument even if some of it comes out a bit squeaky or odd i'm just thrilled that they're doing it and yeah. god's like that with us yeah um okay an- another huge theological issue t- to try and do mm-hmm. in five mm-hmm. minutes mm-hmm. um 
Joshua in Denver, Colorado says, do you think that open theism is a reasonable and defensible way to think about God's knowledge in the world? I feel like it solves more problems than it creates with respect to human suffering, our free will and our purpose to existence. And um, just for those who aren't familiar with exactly what that might be, open theism is a reasonably controversial kind of view of God's sovereignty whereby God doesn't necessarily know the future. Uh, the future is in that sense open um and it, it has well-known advocates someone i mentioned already greg boyd, greg boyd yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and others uh, and is obviously in sharp contradistinction to a sort of calvinist view in which everything is mm, determined by mm, god and, mm. and maybe an arminian sort of perspective sits somewhere in the middle um <laughs> though how exactly we're never quite sure but you know there's a sort of but open theism certainly has has been gaining ground mm, certain mm, people really feeling this this helps uh, that it gives a sort of a genuine freedom mm, mm, mm. to the created order uh, that god doesn't have to if you like uh, micromanage everything yeah. and can let things take their course but nevertheless still engages with that yes. creation in yes. in bringing about his ultimate purposes yes 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 uh, like many of the great theological questions i tend to think that the positions which have been staked out have been argued quite thoroughly and they would none of them have got there unless they had something to say mm. Um, so I want to retain with Paul the sense that we absolutely assuredly know that God will redeem the whole creation because he will do it because he's promised in Christ and by the Spirit to do it. The creation will be set free from its bondage to decay. Does that mean that creation is somehow mechanically going that way with God, as you say, micromanaging? Mm. No, I don't think it means that at all. It means that we do know where the end mm. is, where the end is going to be. Um, even though we don't have a very good detailed picture of what that'll look like. But the great promises of ultimate fulfillment and reconciliation, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Um, you know, that is not in doubt. Mm. Uh, and and there might be some forms of open theism, I don't know if any have actually argued this, which would make it so free that God's just waiting to see, oh, well, let's see how it works out. And mm. if, if it all goes horribly wrong, well, tough. Mm. I think, no, um, the way God's freedom is exercised seems to be through uh, a gentle, wise steering of things, but with all sorts of human engagement and interaction. Mm. Um I'm thinking of, you know, there's lovely moments in Scripture. One of my favorite moments in the Old Testament is the book of Esther, where um, Haman has got this plot to kill all the Jews in Susa, the capital, and, and all over the place. And Esther gets as many Jews as she can to fast and pray and fast and pray. And the next line, it just says laconically, that night the king could not sleep. <laughs> and he called for the books to be brought. And they read him the story of the last few years of his reign. And there was Mordecai did something really important he rescued he saved mm. my life what's been done to honor Mordecai because mm. of this well nothing as far as you well okay let's honor Mo and, and suddenly yes, the, whole okay, the whole thing and, you know, and that yeah. night the king could not sleep it's interesting because in the Greek translation the Septuagint um, it couldn't stand the kind of reticence of that <laughs> and it says that night God took away the king's sleep right. and, <laughs> no it's just it's, it's kind of that night the king could not sleep well isn't that interesting they were mm. fasting and praying and here's the thing when God makes the world in Genesis 1, God makes trees and animals who have their seed within them. In other words, God says, be fruitful and multiply. Get on with it. Do it. Mm. I have given you the capacity to do your own thing. Mm. Now, 
hum, um, plants and animals are going to do this even better if the humans are looking after them. Mm-hmm. And But the humans themselves are told, be fruitful and multiply, mm-hmm. do your own thing. Now, often that takes the form of people who want to have children and can't, and so they have to pray and wait and pray and wait. Mm-hmm. And finally, like Abraham and Sarah, after the right time, they have uh, a child. And uh, Rachel, Jacob's um, younger wife, um, she is cross because God hasn't given her a child. And finally, she has Joseph and then eventually Benjamin. And so it's as though there's a constant to and fro with God saying, over to you, get on, do it. Mm -hmm. You know what you're supposed to be doing. Um, Because God is the letting be God, and it's something deeply Trinitarian that God makes humans in his own image against the day when he will himself become a character in his own story by becoming human. Mm. And therefore, the humans must be free, responsible people Mm. in order that when God comes to dwell in our midst, he will do what he does freely and Mm. responsibly. Um, And that's an, uh, it feels an amazing risk, as Mm. it were. And in a sense, it is. And and is that the bit of open theism where you can see the the point they're getting at, which is God God allows a certain amount of of freedom, of risk? Yes, yes. But whether you go all the way with the yes the consequences well, no, because it's because it's like it's like musical improvisation uh, or indeed artistic improvisation mm. you know an artist who flings a pot of paint at the canvas and stands back and says now <laughs> guess what actually yeah do you see what's <laughs> emerging there and then works with it and then maybe you get somebody else to do another yeah, one yeah, and yeah. now let's see where we yeah. go with but musical improvisation if you've ever played jazz um there is an amazing freedom within a structure which is going to a particular place yeah. and we all know There's it's going there but yeah. how we get there involves a lot of listening to one another right. and of paying attention to the yeah. overall intent yeah. and i think the danger with this whole debate is that it tends to be conducted in terms of a mechanistic model mm. where either god is the ceo who has all the buttons on his desk or he ha- he it's doesn't do anything at all yeah. and it's much richer than that it's mm. much more like um, a complicated family all trying to decide how to have a holiday together or how to um, <laughs> sing in close harmony together or whatever. And they've all got ideas, but, but sooner or later, somebody has to take charge. Actually, I guess we do and, it in yeah. and something emerges in the end. Something but, emerges yes, at the end, yes, yes. yes. Final question, uh, and it goes to Bev in Connecticut. Thanks for listening, Bev. Uh, I think this is a really kind of practical question and, and one that comes up whenever you see a, mm-hmm. I don't know, a Bible verse uh, on a car bumper sticker or <laughs> magnetized on someone's fridge uh, but bev says every christian goes through difficult times and at those times we turn to the promises of the bible for strength and encouragement and other christians often cite a range of scriptural promises to encourage us so here are my questions how can we know which promises in scripture are applicable for all time and which were localized to the particular circumstances of the people being addressed at that time i'm thinking of many of the promises for instance to israel in the old testament Mm -hmm. additionally which promises really must be considered in concert with other scriptures in order to understand the requirements for a promise to be fulfilled Mm -hmm. as an example i'm thinking of if you ask anything in my name john 14 14 and if you abide in me john 15 7 and finally when is something written as though it's a promise for instance many statements in the psalms when it might just be a man pouring out his own heart to the lord uh, example i'm thinking of psalm 91 mm-hmm. 9 to 16 
And then just for some context, Bevads, we've had a very difficult time over the last 12 years financially with betrayals and unjust court proceedings. It's important to know the answer to this question because the answer will speak to what it is about our covenant with God that we put our trust in and therefore to his very nature. Um, I followed the Lord for 60 years with my whole heart, always will. I've submitted this question several times <laughs> over the last two years or so in different opportunities. Long to have it addressed. I don't know if you're, you're talking about having submitted it before to the podcast, but maybe to other people uh, who you thought might be able to help, Bev. But anyway, you say you're grateful for Tom if he can help us to understand this <laughs> Oh, my. Issue. Oh, my. Mm. Um, Bev, I want to put your question in the context of, a, of, of, of an ongoing situation that I'm very much aware of. I have a friend who is pastor of a, a, a church in Tehran, in Iran. Mm. It's very difficult being a Christian in Iran at the best of times. It's particularly difficult when, for various reasons, the Western world, particularly America, has imposed sanctions on Iran. And right now, as I'm speaking today, as we're recording this, um, the coronavirus has taken hold and the hospital where people are being isolated is right up the road from where this friend of mine and his family are living Gosh. and his wife and child are basically being confined to the house wow. just in case and he's trying to organize some online or telephoned bible studies etc to keep his congregation um praying together mm. and you know that puts every problem that i currently <laughs> face in a very different perspective yes, yes. and he's saying tom please pray for and with us which i am doing and will do um, and I say, how do all these promises, which I so easily take in terms of my comfortable Western lifestyle, how do they apply to this dear brother mm. who is living an amazingly self-sacrificial and devoted uh, life as a pastor in a really, really multiply tough yeah. situation? Mm. So I want to say um, none of the great promises in Scripture automatically mean that if we're being good Christians, we will sail through life without having any problems or sudden deaths in the family or whatever it may be. If we look at John's Gospel, the place where those two promises are quoted in John 14 and John 15, Jesus also says, in the world you will have mm. trouble, but mm. cheer up because I've overcome the world. Mm. Um, in other words, if you say, ask for whatever you will and it will be done for you, this presumably doesn't mean, may I just have a peaceful life, plenty to eat and drink, and die in my bed with my children around me. You know, wouldn't that be nice? Mm. And maybe, please God, that will mm. happen to many of us. But that's not guaranteed. The ultimate guarantees are twofold. One, those many, many promises to Israel in the Old Testament. Mm. Paul says in Second Corinthians 1, all the promises of God find their yes in him, mm. that is, in Jesus the Messiah. And that is a kind of a rushing together, like a great wide river suddenly going through a great gap in the rock, very turbulent and very vivid, but all of that is concentrated yeah. there. And until we learn to read the story of Jesus in the Gospels as the place where all that came rushing together, mm. we're missing the point. But then having said that, it comes out the other side, as it were, and says now this great river is irrigating the whole world. And within that, we who are um, the carriers of the Jesus life by the Spirit, we can claim those promises, but always with that strange Gethsemane-like sense of, if it's your will, do I have to do this? And then I think of Paul in Second Corinthians, and I've been spending some time in Second Corinthians recently, mm. and Paul believed passionately that he could ask God for anything and everything, but Paul still goes through shipwrecks and mm. beatings and stonings mm. and all sorts of things, and he would know exactly what my pastor friend in Tehran was, was going through right now. And so all the difficulties that we have with 
injustice global injustice mm. and personal injustice we're not told that this won't happen we're told that god will be with us through it and that god is the god who will do justice eventually but often many many christians who have been martyred and so on or have suffered grievously in this life will have to wait for the new creation for things finally to be done that's why paul says in romans 12 don't avenge yourselves leave it up to god that's god's business if yes. wrong has been done sometimes god will put it right in this life sometimes it'll be later yeah. but we have to trust that it will be so that's tough mm. and uh, but but I, I i do take those promises very seriously and i apply those promises in my own prayer life to very specific things for my family for my children and grandchildren i i will ask claiming those promises and sometimes the answer seems to be absolutely yes here mm, you are mm. and other times the answer is let's just wait and mm. see shall we <laughs> uh, i mean a classic example from the old testament that you know you'll, you'll frequently see on a sort of inspirational christian post mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. bumper sticker is somewhere like jeremiah twenty nine eleven. you know for i know the plans i have for you yeah, yeah, declares yeah. the lord yeah. plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope in the future and of course many people have pointed out that sort of ripping that out of its context might not be the best thing to do because it's obviously given in the context of mm, uh, mm -hmm. people in exile mm, people mm -hmm, who are mm -hmm. who and, and so god is speaking not just to some individual about i'm gonna sure, sort sure. you out but but is sort of saying it's the long-term future it's of the people a long-term future yes, and, and mean, it's, it was there a danger sometimes yeah, of cherry picking verses and there is for sort of our I, I think there'd be probably even more danger in in holding back from that because you were worried about right, it as it sure, were sure. um in that i think in the mercy of god all sorts of passages from scripture can be used by the spirit to touch people's hearts and to give them back mm. hope mm. um and i know many many people working as a pastor and as a friend um who i've known who will say god really spoke to me through this through verse, verse yes. and i know that wasn't what that originally no, meant sure. but that day that was right, what i okay. needed to hear yeah, and it helped yeah. me around that corner and i think you know god, god is not proud in that <laughs> sense he doesn't say oh you haven't read all the commentaries so you don't know what that <laughs> verse means so i do think we have a response we teachers have a responsibility to suss out the context and sure. to try to be sure of appropriate application but things still leap off the page mm. but the great promises are all the promises of God find their yes in Christ, and ultimately the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we are living often uneasily between mm. those two. Mm. I hope that's been of some help, both pastorally and theologically, for you, Bev. Um, I've taken up too much of your time already, Tom. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thanks for getting through all of those questions. Thank you. Thank and you. we look forward to another session in the future. For now, um, I'll love you and leave you. And until next time, thank you very much for being on thank the podcast. Thank you. Great to be with you, as always. Mm -hmm.